Hello, everyone, and welcome back to IRL Podcasts, where we look at IR in real life. My name is Mariana Sansoni, and my pronouns are she, her, hers, and I study international relations at Wheaton College in Northern Massachusetts. In this three-part series, I will be exploring how theories of international relations surrounding refugees impacts policy in different nations, and what that policy looks like in actuality once refugees arrive in developed countries like the U.S., In the first episode of IRL, we looked at some of the different theory lenses for international relations, specifically um, realism, which is all about power and politics, liberalism, which is all about the individual and like how that affects states working together, and finally critical theory, which we're going to spend a little bit more time on today. Um, and we really examined officials' interpretation of critical theory as far as positive biopower and pluralism. And so last episode, we kind of went into a little bit more depth of like all these different theories and what that means for international relations. And today we're really going to take a look at like what policies come from those things. Specifically, we're going to look about policies surrounding borders and what those are. Just as kind of a summary and a recap, um, realism looks as a border as a very hard border. They're a place of power as well as weakness. Um, borders kind of define as the state as a unit moves and functions in the way it makes decisions and it's acting upon that nature to protect its borders. Um, liberalism, another traditional um, international relations theory, focuses on um, borders as being important, but also a source of trade. You need to have secure borders and nationalism and um, typically democracy and capitalism fall into borders, but there is a lot of intercooperation between countries. But the important part is like the separation of those countries or states. And those are both traditional international relations theories. Um, and they have more of an impermeable border national security vibe of how um, realism and liberalism define national security. And so when I talk about traditional IR theories, I'm reference it in this episode, I'm going to be referencing these too. Um, the other one is critical theory, which is we're going to be explaining more with Fischl. Uh, critical theory takes more of a look at what is the way the world works and how we make it work and should we adjust for different things. So um, critical theory is really looking at a more holistic approach to borders and um, the reasons why they aren't per- they are permeable and why it's important to have movement across different borders and how um, it isn't just this national security risk and it's actually a risk if we don't have more permeable borders. And so in this episode, we're going to be kind of diving into that a little bit more. So what do I mean by impermeable or permeable borders? Like, what are those things? Like, what do you mean, Mariana, when you say, oh, this border is impermeable under this theory? Um, And I don't mean perfect in anything like that. There's always going to be exceptions to cases. But traditionally, in traditional IR theory, like impermeable borders are a hard concept of this is defining us as a state. This is what defines us, our culture, um, who we let in versus people leaving um, and why people might want to come in versus leaving. Traditionally, um, borders are more closed and more um, a thing of national security, specifically with realism. They are that point of weakness where, as well as a point of power. 
And what I mean by permeable borders, having borders that are more fluid, while they may be a physical landmark or something like that, um, people are able to flow more freely across borders for both economic and developmental opportunities, um, as well as education and all those different types of things. Often in traditional IR theory, um, immigration and aliens, uh, illegal aliens coming into the country, um, are seen as a very, very negative thing and something that is bad for the country, which you can kind of see in how that works, um, in life with the past presidency that we just had, how there's this very negative connotation around, um, immigration and how immigrants are bad for the country. Critical theory takes a couple and a little bit different of a lens and a different view of that. Fischl in particular, um, does a really good job of using the body as a metaphor for like understanding international relations and so official really talks about the importance of having immigration and the importance of people from different cultures coming and mingling together particular to quote Fischl. She says, humans survive with the help of microbial communities and these ties can be used analogically to better understand human institutions, politics, and community creation. What Fischl's really doing is connecting the often disconnected um, studies of so like hard sciences and soft sciences like politics. She uses the metaphor of the body in particular as a metaphor for the whole world and like humanity in general. Um, and when she talks about the body she um, particularly talks about infections and um, this idea of being clean which was introduced in the mid-19th century which kind of like found its way into soft sciences and this thought of purity and having just one culture and not letting anybody in or out which we can use as you can see in um, more traditional IR theory um, where it is impermeable borders where you don't want people out you want to keep things very clean very orderly um, and you can see that in immigration policy in numbers throughout the years what she's arguing is like like we've made ourselves so clean and so pure. This is why we have so many allergies. And going back to the body metaphor that Fischl continues to use is like allergy and uh, peanut allergies have increased exponentially over the past few years considered to centuries before. And scientists have argued this is because we're not exposed to as many allergies or many different things to our immune system as in the past. And, she's, and these are a bad thing. It's resulting in deathly allergies for people. And if people were to be introduced to more um, different microbiomes and different things like that. It helps the body become more resilient and better equipped to handle things and um, smarter. And she uses that metaphor for um, illegal immigration as well as just immigration in general, where we've gotten so used to this clean and pure aspect from the mid 1950s or from the mid 20th century in the 1950s and prior of just being so clean and pure that we think of immigration as a bad, as a dirty thing, but in reality, it helps us. We've gotten so accustomed to not and not having as much immigration as this country did when we were founding, particularly, um, I'm referring to the United States at this point, um, and other states as well, as we've gotten used to not having this concept of immigration where we see it as just a bad thing. 
And in reality, it's not. It's healthy for the body. It's healthy for the country and different countries to have an influx of ideas and people and cultures, which grows, makes them stronger and different things like this. And so this is kind of the argument and the framework that I want to use to kind of move forward to maybe two different case studies of this. The first case study, we're going to look particularly at France and um, a lot of immigration with the Middle East and North Africa and how... Um, particularly with Islamic and Muslim communities, um, it has become a real issue in France not wanting to adopt these new ways and having everybody conform to the traditional French model. And how this is resulting in horrific events happening um, and horrific racism in France. And then the second case study we're going to look at um, in the United States in particular, and we're going to look at immigration from Central America and the reasons why that happened and what's going on there and how both of these use traditional IR theory and was made into policies um, that reflected that theory of like, we aren't going to let anybody in. Anybody that does come into a country needs to assimilate to that country and not keep on to the aspects of identity. And I think we're going to see throughout that it's becoming more and more clear that critical theory is important to integrate into our policy. Policies, and maybe to get rid of those traditional policies that are from traditional international relations theories um, and move towards more pluralistic views and viewing the world as like a diverse place that needs to be celebrated for diversity and what that means. So let's hop into our first case study in a lot of MENA, which is Middle East, North Africa, immigration into France. right into our first case study. Let's look at MENA or Middle East and North Africa and French uh, migration and how um, refugees and the thought of borders are playing a role in this. So before we start, we got to do some like background history. Um, let's look at European history. So French for a long, long, long time was Catholic. Like that is what they were known for. They went to many wars over it. Um, in particular, a notable one was the Thirty Years' War against the Protestants, which kind of led to traditional international relations theory as we know it, which ended in 1648. Um, it was kind of the start of where we started to look at realism and liberalism and eventually. Um, anyways, nonetheless, France was known for being Catholic. That's what they were. And that's how they governed. Um, they governed using the divine right of kings for a long time, and it was a large part of French identity. So, Later, after a couple failed revolutions, after they helped Americans gain independence, um, France swung way far away from the divine right of kings. Think like Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake, being beheaded whole thing. Um, the aristocracy and this divine right that people had to rule in France um, was seen as bad and like they moved very far away from that. We all know Marie Antoinette let them eat cake. That's not true. That's a historical mislead. But nonetheless, following along that line. France has moved so far that it's known as a deeply secular state, which holds the freedom of speech above all else. French people are allowed to believe and say whatever they want. It's like a free-for-all. Whereas in places like the United States, like you can say whatever you want. You just can't like be, what is the word, hateful towards people. Like that, We have laws against hate speech. Um, France does not have a ton of these. So how does this connect to like the horrible treatment of refugees in France? 
So we got to go back a little bit again and go to the 1830s this time. French was colonizing North Africa, particularly uh, Morocco, Tunisia, um, and a couple other places, and continued to expand their empire all the way to Syria and Lebanon up until the 1940s. So like, what was that, 80 years ago? So it's still in like living memory, if that makes sense. Now, France is known as in Europe as one of the main asylum host countries. And so often the people that are seeking asylum are from formerly colonized French places. And a majority of the people seeking asylum there and their refugees are Islamic or Islam or Muslim. In Islam, it's considered haram or sinful to draw caricatures of prophets and French in uh, prophets. And while this may seem like, okay, like it's, Haram, they're not allowed to do it, and I'm in no way an expert on Islam. I just know from my friends and the research I've done. Um, this kind of con contradicts French's thought of uh, radical secularism. French has always been known for its distinct culture, and with this onslaught of refugees that are not French, it's causing a lot of tension and backlash from the citizens of France. One example is French people exercising their right to radical free speech and printing many hateful cartoons of Muslim prophets, which is seen as extremely disrespectful towards is their Islamic neighbors. This is just one element of the hardships that refugees face in France. And think of all of this kind of like a pressure cooker. You have historical tension, traditional views of, like, pure culture where, like, French um, don't really want to add, like, they want people to adapt to French culture and not French culture adapt to other people. Um, the trauma that refugees have leaving, like, it's a very traumatic process to have to leave your country and not have that security and not having your basic needs met. You're put in a place where you don't know the language, you don't know the food, you don't know how to drive. Um... And just being blatantly not wanted and that being expressed to you. Um, French people have made it very clear they are not fans of the asylum seekers that are coming to France. They don't like how French is becoming more and more um, Muslimified, I think is what I saw in the documentary I watched. And all of this is like a recipe for increased radicalization. All of this in this pressure cooker tends to lead to people becoming more radicalized, which then leads to this thought of like Islamic people being radical. And this leads to further and further stigmatization and how um, they're viewed, which this is evident. For example, in French teacher, a French teacher that was... Um, a French teacher was executed after showing cartoons of Islamic prophets in a class teaching about free speech and secularism. These few radical Muslims make it so much harder for others to survive in France. And this can all be kind of traced back to traditional IR theory, where I'm so sorry, borders are impermeable. And what I mean by this is you don't have people coming in or out or people coming in are adapting to the French culture, but that's not how it is. It, it's seen in traditional IR theory that like the foreign is bad and that's how often it's viewed and how policy has been made is the foreign is bad and it's not to be adapted to. Anybody coming in should adapt to you. Now, imagine if instead of the policies and French policies that they have um, that are currently more traditionally um, 
follow more traditional IR theories, imagine them more as a critical theory-based approach, where differences were radically embraced as Fischl calls for. Policy could then be changed in France to reflect all the people that are there. And one easement or one... uh, one case or something that you could do as far as free speech is maybe still having free speech, but also excluding hate speech or putting restrictions on not being able to show things in the classroom that are explicitly hateful. Just like with some allergies, when people grow out of them, the more people grow out of them, going back to this body approach or this body metaphor, the more people interact with things, they eventually adapt if we're following critical theory. But this means people have to adapt and have to want to. And right now, with the current mindset in France, it's not the case more often than not. So imagine the body, or the French body per se, adapts to their asylum seekers and the tension hopefully will be able to dissipate and people will be able to move toward more radical acceptance. But this takes time and this takes policy and it takes clear cut and like government coming out and saying we're not going to stand for hateful speech. But that's not what they're doing. There's a careful balance of having French culture, but also being adaptable. And I think all culture is adaptable throughout time. So this is just one one of our case studies on how the traditional IR theory maybe isn't really working. And we need to kind of change our view on things and how it affects actual people. Because the theory of impermeable borders is affecting how people are living. And people are dying and being treated horribly because of it but we're going to do another case study which is coming up right after this the second case study surrounding refugees and borders that i really want to look at is kind of a hot topic one in the united states and it's central american migration and refugees coming to the united states border particularly the u.s mexico border but again before we get into what's happening now we gotta travel back to the past to kind of get an understanding so in the 1820s the monroe doctrine was really popular in the united states at the time and to kind of summarize this doctrine it's important to note that america was just getting done with European colonization. They're like, we want no more Europeans. We don't want them near us. We don't want them on the country. We don't want them in South America because that is too close. We want an ocean between us and Europe. So the Monroe Doctrine was the U.S. getting involved with Latin America and really influencing policy down there away from Europeans and towards Americans and creating that often exploitive relationship And so for the longest time, and even now, the United States has been heavily involved in European, or not even, not European politics, but in Latin American politics. And so fast forward to the 1980s. So in the 1980s, the war on drug was declared. And I believe it was Nixon that declared it. And it was like, oh, this is going to solve all the problems in the United States. The U.S., instead of like treating drug addiction as like a problem, as a medical illness, they decided to treat it as a problem and as something that could be fixed if the drugs were taken away. Um, And someone who knows about addiction in her family, like there's a bunch of people um, in my family that have struggled with this. Um. Addiction is not one of those things where it's like, oh, if you make it harder to get here, people will just stop. 
they'll just find more creative ways to get drugs. And so that's what happened. So to go a little bit back to specifically Central America, a lot of destabilization had been happening in the region because of the United States meddling because of the Monroe Doctrine that was, well, what, 200 years old at this point? So it really destabilized the region, and a large source of revenue and income was from drug distribution. So when the U.S. had their crackdown on drugs, it really affected the economics and the whole industry in Central America. And gangs, it became harder for them to make money and bribe officials and all of these other things, which thus affected how the country was run. run. You had weak leaders that were coming into the country and were being bribed by warlords and drug cartel. And so what ends up happening is the gangs kind of took over in Latin America because the U.S. kind of pulled out and had this huge war on drugs. So this is all happening, like foreign policy, domestic policy, all kind of intermingling. What does this mean for the people? So as gangs took over and their main loss of revenue has started to decrease because of the war on drugs, they moved to things like um, ransom calls. And so people would be killed in violence and their families would be ransomed uh, to try to recoup some of those losses from the drug money. So this is causing people to flee to the United States. Um, I listened to a disheartening podcast the other day, um, talking about this family who was being harassed by, um, the gang in their area and they were being exploited, being like, we're going to kill you and your family if you don't give us, I think it was $2,000, um, USD, which was a lot of money. Um, and the family was like, we can't pay. We're not going to pay you. So their neighbors started getting harassed and the family went to the equivalent of the FBI in Guatemala and the Guatemalan government was like, we can't help you. So having nothing else to do, this family fled to the United States. And this brings us kind of to like where we are with the U.S. and specifically the past presidency with Trump. Trump took a very realist, hardline approach of we're going to have secure borders. Like we are the United States, make United States great again. And it was this very realist approach of like, we are one nation, one state, we make decisions together. And it was a very nationalistic point of view, impermeable borders, going back to what we said before. So going back to the family that is immigrating from trying to escape death in Guatemala um, and coming to the United States, when they get to the United States border, horrible treatment and we really need to like take a moment as the u.s to take a step back and i say this as a citizen and really examine how we caused the problem of what we're not not wanting to deal with the solution so we're stuck in the situation where we have this radical traditional ir theory of secure borders secure borders secure borders not impermeable not being able to get in and let's kind of like juxtapose that with the critical theory. Critical theory, again, goes back to radical acceptance and to make it easier to work through the process of immigration and making that it's good to have new people and new ideas and invigorate people. And I think really the mess at the U.S. border and the refugee crisis there is horrific and it just needs to be surrounded with more trained professionals. And let's just take the case of, okay, well, we don't want people coming into our country. 
is the traditional IR theory. And then let's look at the critical theory. What if we were to let refugees in? What if people made the asylum process um, more simplified to get through? Um, I think it would really help U.S. infrastructure because we're struggling, particularly when it comes to gentrification. I'm from St. Louis, and we'll talk about this a little bit more um, in the next episode. But St. Louis was like heavily gentrified. The city was kind of falling apart. And we had a large influx of refugees from Bosnia, actually, come and kind of revive the center of the city and really build those small businesses. So imagine if we did that with the refugees along Central American border. And while the U.S. wasn't as directly involved with the Bosnian conflict, we are directly involved in the cause of Central American and gang violence. And so imagine this world where we took a theory of radical acceptance in this, instead of saying people come out, come out, leave, 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 don't even come. And so we said, come, come to the United States, please join us, go through the processes and become citizens. Because I can guarantee the people who come to the United States work exponentially harder than Americans, in my humble opinion, which is what we'll talk about next episode. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Like we talked about today, um, we really examined how foreign policy is directly influenced by these different theories of international relations. And if we were maybe to take a step back from the traditional IR theory and policies that follow, and maybe start on a new path following more critical theory, how that could radically change um, the lived experiences of people who are immigrating and crossing many borders and what that would look like. Um, In this next episode, that's exactly what we're going to do. So we kind of started big with like, well, what is IR theory and moved into what is the practicality? What does this look like on the ground? And next we're going to be like, what does this mean to be a lived experience for someone? So I am very lucky. Like I said before, I live in St. Louis, Missouri, and I get to intern with Oasis International Ministries, um, who helps refugees settle in the St. Louis area. Um, And I get a chance to sit down with my boss and have an awesome discussion with her about the organization her and her husband started um, and really ask her a lot of questions about what it's like for um, refugees and what it's like for a nonprofit um, moving through the administrations and what that's like preparing for influxes of refugees versus having more of a pause the past few years. Um, So we look forward. I hope you will join us for the next episode. I'm super excited about it. Um, But yeah, thank you for joining me on this one where we kind of got to do a little bit more of a deep dive into like different foreign policies of the United States and of France. And thank you so much for listening. And I hope you have a great day. Bye.